What's going on, you magnificently macho mammals? Welcome to this week's episode of Total Pod Mode. My name is James, also known as Mr. Bames, and I'm joined, as always, by the wondrous Will, also known as Hoodafunk. Yes, it is I. Back for another week, another episode of Total Pod Mode. Good to be here, buddy. Always a pleasure. What have we got on this week's episode, I hear you ask? Well, let me tell you, we've got catch-up. We got some news where we're going to talk about a couple of new games that are coming out. Oh, excitement. As well as a new acquisition by Sony, which could be interesting given everything else that's going on in the world with them at the moment. And then we round off the show by finishing off our Odyssey down below into Rapture with Bioshock 2 Remastered Part 2. But before we get into all that, let's hit them socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. And you can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Bames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Bames underscore TPM. So, Will, talk to me. What have you been playing this week, man? Like I need to f***ing guess. Uh, yeah, no, you're probably right with your assumptions <laughs> there. It's been a pretty slow week this week. Uh, mostly been uh, having my head inside Call of Duty, trying to progress my way through the Season 3 Battle Pass. And you'll probably be unsurprised to hear that they've actually found yet another way to uh, keep you playing the game more than you uh, would by your own free will. There is now a Season 3 Trophy Hunt active, where there are various different game modes that you can play. Most of the game modes that you can play, you're actually able to earn these trophies. You can get them through a mixture of either killing and retrieving them from other online players. There is a certain allowance you can also earn through killing some of the AI players in DMZ mode. So these are physical trophies rather than like achievement trophies. Yeah, you well, see what I mean, not not physical like you yeah, get them at yeah. your house, but like physical like in-game sort of trophies that you pick up off bodies. Yeah, kind of like so. If you've ever played uh, the dog tag collection yeah, mode, that's what I was. Yeah, say, they they yeah. kind of resemble that, and you can only earn them. You get them for each of your first kills against every unique player on the game. That obviously resets. So if you know players join the next server that you're playing on, if you kill them, you'll get another trophy. But it's on a per game basis. The first time that you kill an enemy, they'll drop a trophy. Typically, these are 6v6 game modes, so you're earning six at a time on Team Deathmatch or other similar modes like Domination or Capture the Flag. And you can use these tokens to put towards various things like emblems, calling cards, and uh, and some other cooler things like some vehicle skins. Uh, you can get a cool weapon blueprint, uh, a few weapon trophies, and uh, so on. But then at the end of all of this, you can also, uh, provided you've earned enough, if you earn 10 of the items, you can unlock a skin for an operator. If you unlock another five items from the whole batch of 18 available, you then unlock uh, another operator skin as well. So that's what I've been aiming towards this week, is trying to get my way through 15 of these awards. And what's the time limit on that? Like, So you've got, I think you said the next one's coming out on the 26th. When would the the offer end, if you like? Is it a whole season long? No, I don't think it's the whole season, actually. I think that I've got roughly maybe two or three weeks left on this. That, not, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, not entirely sure. But there will be the third set. So at the moment, you can only unlock 12 of the trophy items. But the third set would unlock on the 26th of April, so later on in the week after the episode releases. So I will be grinding out those last few during the week next week as well. And uh, I know you're probably going to ask me about it, James, so I'm going to... Eminem 8 Mile, you baby. Music, the moment you 
but uh, that does mean that I will delay uh, more of my playthrough into Breath of the Wild, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my question. It was going to be, have you played any of that this week, given we're getting ever closer to the old Tears of the Kingdom coming out? We really are. It's been nagging me in the back of my head that I really should get on and uh, and step back into that. It's just one more Divine Beast left then before I can finally take on Ganon, so... yeah. Do need to stop dragging my heels on that one, yeah. And uh, I do look forward to talking about my completion of that at some point on an episode, although definitely can't promise that's coming next week, given the uh, the strict deadline for this trophy hunt. Well, do you want me to make you feel a little bit worse as well? Go on then. Shout-outs to Sai. Um, my mate Sai picked up Resi 4 and has completed Resi 4. Oh, no! <laughs> just, to, just to rub it in a little bit. I, everyone I know that has bought Resident Evil 4 has, has yeah. completed. I, I keep on... The problem is now is because it's been a while since it's been out, I'm actually seeing spoilers and shit from the game yeah. that I don't want to see, so I really need to get on with that before I kind of ruin anything. Kind of what I said last week, man. Like, I respect your willingness to complete Resi 4 and Breath of the Wild whilst doing all of your COD stuff before Tears <laughs> of the Kingdom, but damn, tough ask. You can do it, but it's going to be tough. Breath of the Wild is going to have to supersede Resident Evil 4 for oh, a for while, sure, yeah. for sure, and then I think I'll have to move on to that, just so that I don't get anything else spoiled for me later down the line. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because you don't expect there to be spoilers on a game that you've completed a bunch of times, right? In terms of the original, at least. But there will be because you were so passionate about the new stuff that's in there and how cool it was that I imagine that anything you get spoiling that is going to be a bit of a bummer pretty much yeah because i mean obviously a lot of the effect gets lost the first time you see it and if you're exactly. seeing it as you play it absolutely and then not only that but there's just iconic moments in the game that i've been looking forward to see how they're remade i don't much rather experience that for the first time in the remastered one actually playing it as opposed to happening to just see a gif of it on twitter or something so yeah, yeah. doing my best to avoid uh certain hashtags as well yeah well I liked the one spoiler that you have sent me, which is that at the end of the game, you, you go and have a chat with Joe Biden in the White House. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that was pretty funny. Not an ending that I saw coming, got to say. I'll have to uh, retweet that one through the Total Podmo yeah. Twitter if I can go. I'm sure I'll be able to go back and find it. I'll do that uh, yeah. before the episode releases, just so people know funny. what the f*** we're talking about that was funny though like yeah. joe biden's in the game guys <laughs> like sorry spoilers but you know using ai voice generation for good oh it's not him <laughs> oh. i'm sorry to tell you they didn't well, get uh, joe biden in a mocap suit in the capcom studios no well i mean hey that's my assumption I i'm assuming it was an ai voice video given the popularity of those at the moment but who knows maybe joe biden's a secret capcom fan ah what the f is going on we're just messing with you biden of course i killed them all Oh my god, you motherfucker! You really got me there. That's so funny. So, man, uh, other than that, that's that's kind of me for Call of Duty. I'm just sat here grinding away at my trophies and uh, trying to work my way through the battle pass. What about you? So, I have played a few things, but not really played anything, if that makes sense. So, what I mean by that is, I'll, I'll, firstly, I'll do the very quick shout out because it's not really good conversation material but as you know i went and visited my mate george uh, last weekend shout out to george and his family sub george and we actually played a lot of fifa 20 <laughs> all right okay fifa 20 you're three years late so we were playing an old fifa uh, which was hilarious and the only shout out i'll give to that is that i didn't realize there's a mode on it called no rules 
Really? You can just oh, that's hack cool. everyone. You can be offside. <laughs> you can do what you want. Like it's great. I like that. Where was that mode when I was playing FIFA? But apart from that, I have continued a bit with Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning, although not as much as I perhaps would have liked because you may remember that last week I said that I had tried to get Elden Ring going again and I was sort of put out by the fact that I had a massive frame rate drop on Godric, right? You did. Have you overcome these issues? So, yes, I have. But it's interest it's interesting ish how it happens. So I went in and I did Godric again. Happened again, and I was like, oh for fuck's sake. Somehow managed to win. Oh which right, okay. I was like, wow, I'm that's like the best thing I've ever done in this game. <laughs> now, honestly, you try facing Godric at five FPS, man. It's brutal. <laughs> but did it, right? And everything was just chugging and chugging. So I was like, right, let's go into the settings and see what's up. And what had happened was, and th- and this has actually since been corroborated in recent patch notes for Elden Ring, is that as a result of a recent patch, it basically defaulted ray tracing on. Ah, right, that'll be it. And yep. because my PC is very high end, Elden Ring decided that my ray tracing should natively be... I think it was one below maximum, so high or whatever. Well, that coupled with the resolution that you're outputting in is just going to fuck you. Yeah, regardless of the graphics card. So the fact that I got about eight hours in with no issue was pretty incredible. So turned ray tracing off completely to begin with. Went back in, ran smooth. Ran like a dream, like I, yeah. Like, like I remember it. <laughs> Ray tracing is so goddamn intensive, you know? Exactly, it's ridiculous. But then I thought, let's try it on medium ray tracing, see what that's saying. Chuggy as fuck, so no. (laughs) Turned it off, and honestly, I didn't notice a difference in terms of the graphics and stuff. I'm sure there is in terms of like ambient lighting and shadows and things like that, but for the most part, ultra settings still looks great. Honestly, you're just... uh, My opinion on ray tracing is that it's best implemented in remasters and games where you're bringing older stuff up to spec. Much more than it is for using it in modern games because, I mean, they've developed loads of lighting trickery over the years. If anything, is actually less intensive in terms of the, uh, you know, the way that they've got it to work. So I just think that in a lot of ways, it's less intensive and it almost looks as good except for a very set amount of circumstances. I just feel like ray tracing is is better used elsewhere, definitely. Yeah, for sure. I think with Elden Ring specifically, it probably looks immense in some of the caves and dungeons and stuff where they can really play with that lighting. Like, imagine the, the lost city of Nextrum or whatever it's called, Noxtrum. Noxtrum, I forget what yeah, it's called. Yeah. That, with ray tracing, probably looks stunning, right? But in the overworld, as you've just mentioned there, the lighting's good enough anyway. You really don't need it. Yeah. But no, so that was, that was actually really positive. I got a bit of a second when with that and i've done a fair amount um you know i've done godric there i've now done all of lakes of leonia so i've done ranala and all that sort of now just going around looking for extra shards to make my weapon a bit stronger my plan is to refinish elden ring before the dlc comes out right yeah you know i think that's a good way to do it you got plenty of time as well you got a lot more time than i do that's for sure you say that man but I didn't quite clock how close we were to Jedi Survivors coming out. Yeah, that is a good point. We're not exactly a million miles away from Lies of P. I know it's four months, but really not that far away from that. There's a game that's just come out called Stray Blade, which I was looking to get into. It's kind of like a Souls-like, and so that sounds quite interesting, but I think I'm going to wait for it to mellow a bit. Like, you know, get some reviews out there, see what it's saying. And then, of course, in June, we've got Wolong DLC coming, which I'm going to be all over because that game is fucking awesome. So It's a tight schedule, man. It's a tight schedule. And not to mention the ever-growing list of games that I start and need to finish anyway. It's, 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 you say I've got time, but really, really I don't. <laughs> 
I'll find the time though, man. I actually played a little bit of Elden Ring myself. I've been starting off my big boss character and uh, running through with the spiked castus with the uh, parry Ashes of War equipped. And I'm just trying to parry pretty much everything I can. And it's working out pretty well for me, i got to say. Yeah, I had a little mess around with the buckler. Oh, yeah. For some yeah, parrying, yeah. yeah. It's fun, man. It's fun. And I like the fact that certain bosses that you can parry sometimes take more than one, which really adds to the challenge and uh, yeah. in, in a fair and balanced way. Love it. Yeah, man. No, it's, uh, it's weird how I'd forgotten quite how good that game is. I mean, having played Neo, Neo 2 and stuff, they're all very tight, but... It's that FromSoft sort of seal of approval, if you like. It's yeah. Just, it's just that little bit better. It's that level of tightness you can't get anywhere else. Exactly. And and uh, shout out to George once more. He's just picked up Dark Souls 3 on my recommendation. And so I was actually tempted to even jump back into that for a little bit as well, just because he's been talking about it and it you know, makes me want to play it. But yeah, so no, apart from bit of Elden Ring and, a, and a, the smallest amount of Kingdoms of Amalur really not even worth going into, I don't think. Um, I haven't really played too much else. So I think with that, we're now done with the catch-up. So why don't we move over to some news? So our first news story this week, PlayStation acquires a new studio, their first of 2023. The studio in question is called Firewalk Studios, and they have now been purchased by PlayStation, having first announced a publishing partnership back in 2021. And reportedly, they are working on a new AAA multiplayer title. Ooh, that could be something to look forward to. It very much could be. Especially when you take into account that back in 2018, when they were f- when Firewalk Studios were founded, it was by former Activision and Bungie devs, specifically Tony Hsu and Ryan Ellis. Right, so strong pedigree there as well in terms of development. Exactly. I mean, Sue was in charge of the Destiny business unit back when Bungie was still an Activision studio, and Ellis was the technical art director and later creative director for Destiny at Bungie. So Destiny there is the common denominator, and given that these guys are working on a AAA multiplayer title for Sony, speculation is rife that it's going to be some sort of live service action game a la Destiny. I'll be interested to see what comes of this. I mean, Destiny was a game that I dipped into. I also played a little bit of Destiny 2. i got to say, neither one of them really sort of blew me away. I would say they're very sort of average games done quite well. The multiplayer element, I think, is quite fun and it's addictive, but they've made a lot of questionable decisions over the years in terms of the loot and the content that they've locked away. And I think that they'll have to learn some lessons from the uh, from some of the mistakes that they made with Destiny. It does sound like this is probably going to be a bit of a sci-fi leaning game. I mean, I know that Activision's involved in there as well, but uh, this makes me think that this will be a bit more of a futuristic take on a multiplayer title. Yeah, this sounds like it's got legs. Yeah, it could certainly be interesting. I mean, I'm kind of with you in that I don't know if a Destiny clone is something that the world is clamoring for. I mean, I know that Destiny 2 is still pretty big. Like, it's very popular even with all the things you've just mentioned there. Yeah, big within its own sort of fan base, absolutely. Yeah, not a franchise that I'm particularly bothered about. I have played a little bit of Destiny 2. Personally, didn't like it. Just I just didn't get on with it, um, so I didn't play for very long at all. But I thought this was an interesting story because, to me, and this is probably me just being a little bit of a pot stirrer and you know possibly thinking way too far outside the box, given that this is really not confirmed at all. But I saw this and I thought to myself, hmm, are Sony preparing for a life where Activision will be owned by Microsoft? And this is potentially their way of getting some people who used to work with Activision into their studio to get their insight onto potentially, sure, AAA multiplayer title now, but maybe a new FPS IP. It could well be. I mean, I think if they're thinking big and they really want to generate that new IP, it has every chance of becoming a thing. 
How successful it'll be definitely remains to be seen. I mean, Sony have always had their attempts at uh, Halo Killers back in the day when they were competing with Microsoft for that FPS crown. And uh, I don't think they ever really had anything that stood up to Halo. They tried with uh, Killzone. Haze was obviously a notorious uh, failure. And uh, Resistance was another one that I suppose more closely competed with Halo. Uh, And all of them, although they were fine games on their own, I, I don't think that they did reach that level of quality and fun more importantly that uh, that the halo series managed to encompass so it'll be interesting if they succeed with this but uh you know with members on the team from halo and uh and titles like that i think that this uh, has a chance part of me does feel that the market is just so dedicated now to the existing fps's and you know you've got the siege lovers you've got the counter-strike lovers you've got the halo lovers you've got the call of duty you've got like four people that still play battlefield <laughs> and one of them's you <laughs> <laughs> one of them is me yes yeah. battlefield 2042 i should clarify didn't even think you were still playing that one. <laughs> it'll be really interesting to see that even if this game is good will it actually break through at the end of the day, this is a heavily saturated market, you know, just to go on, we've got things like Fortnite as well. There is just so much competing with this. Will it be able to pull players away and into this new title, whatever it is? No, sadly, and these are all the questions that they'll need to answer. Um, and as I say, that's purely speculation on my part at this moment in terms of the Call of Duty rival. But even with a AAA multiplayer title that, you know, is more than likely going to be a live service game a la Destiny, as we say already, I share your scepticism. I'm not sure that that's going to be guaranteed to break through has a chance sure you know people love a new fps and if it's good and has some sort of engaging hook then great but whenever i see live service i always worry a little bit though it's a horrible buzzword it equals microtransactions in my <laughs> yeah. head i guess watch this space we'll see what happens but interesting times particularly with the uh result of the actablis acquisition stuff due to be finalized within a couple of months so i mean they did uh they announced this publishing partnership back in 2021 so it sort of predates uh, uh some of that stuff but absolutely i think that sony have always got their eyes on the horizon for the next call of duty slash halo killer well interesting segue here sort of Still on the same subjects, we're talking about Blizzard still. Our second news story is that Blizzard have announced a second beta weekend for Diablo 4 before its launch in June. Now, we may remember that a number of episodes ago now, we announced that there was going to be the first Diablo 4 beta playtest weekend, which will, I believe, you actually showed some interest in potentially hopping onto. I don't know if you ever did. I but... did. I did show some interest. I did not follow through on that interest. <laughs> so I'm actually pleased to uh, to hear about this announcement because it does mean that hopefully this time I'll actually find the time to jump on. I've seen a little bit more footage since we spoke about it last. Uh, quite a bit more of barbarian footage, weirdly. Honestly, it looks really interesting, man. I'm liking some of the level design. It looks like, and this is uh, something I definitely didn't think I'd ever say about Diablo, but it looks like it's got some interesting verticality in the levels as well. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I hate to sort of burst your bubble here, but I think you're going to struggle to get on this one too, because the Diablo 4 playtest weekend is scheduled for the 12th to 14th of May, which is, you know... Ah, that's fine. Everyone will be playing Tears of the Kingdom. A week after Tears of the Kingdom comes out? (laughs) Everyone will be playing Tears of the Kingdom, mate. Oh, I need to worry. So yeah, so it's an interesting one here. Um, And also interesting about this announcement is that Blizzard are actively asking fans to come and slam their servers. Well, that's got to be a joke. Which has sort of earned the event the moniker of the server slam playtest, which I 
quite yeah, I think it's quite cute. I mean, they're really putting the money where the mouth is there. I mean, that's a, an interesting take on it, given that actually the issues that have plagued both Diablo 3 and the previous beta servers, it sounds like they are really confident of themselves this time around. Yeah, and any online game ever released ever has this problem. So to me, it's like, it's either a great piece of marketing or it's completely sort of brazen arrogance. So yeah, yeah. Go wrong. Mm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm here for I'm here for both of them, to be <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I just uh, yeah. This is the Conor McGregor approach. <laughs> ah, there's a little snake in the grass right there. Summer. Hey, little boy. How's it going? Are you lost? Definitely lost. Where's your mummy, little boy? <laughs> but no. So I do have a little bit of information about the beta here. The beta will take place in the same location as the last ones, which is called the Fractured Peaks which is very Diablo. It's the most Diablo thing I've heard so far. I'm always a big fan of uh, Lorik's Passage. Yeah, any passage is always fun, isn't it? That's nasty. Characters from the previous two beta weekends, I thought there was only one, but there's two apparently, will not carry over to Server Slam Test, and any progress you make during it won't carry over to launch. So this literally is a vertical slice, basically. Oh, that's interesting, because I think the previous one's did carry over? I could be wrong on that, but I thought they did. I think you may be wrong, but I think I'm coming to what you might be thinking about here, right? So you have to choose from one of the game's five classes and play a new character up to the server slams level cap, which is 20. But this is where I, what I think you've just said comes into it, is that there is a chance for players to earn additional rewards in-game, including rewards that may not have been earned from the last beta playtests. And it is my understanding that these rewards carry through. So your character might not, but I believe these rewards do. And if they don't, then what's the point in having them in the beta tests and that they carry over for them? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, surely they, they, they've got to carry over. I mean, I would just be interested to know, though, whether these are going to be aesthetic items. I know that Diablo Immortal kind of dabbled with a few more of those types of uh, online elements. Or whether this will just be useful early game loot that will kind of carry you through the first few levels without you having as much difficulty as perhaps if you were just starting with base game loot who knows i speculate that it might be i don't know if you've ever played path of exile but path of exile and possibly even diablo 3 had this i'm not sure but you could buy sort of like you say purely aesthetic things like angel wings or a tail or some sort of horns or a something pet. like that <laughs> Maybe. maybe maybe it's a non-combat pair. Yeah, exactly. It could be something like that. Or like you've just intimated there, it could be something like an experience token for the first two days or something like that. You know, who knows? Just an early game weapon that's decently leveled and does a good bit of damage. Yeah, called like the Server Slam Saber or something. Yeah, I like it. Knows? Hey, yeah, Activision Blizzard, what's up? You need some... You need some... <laughs> Hire this guy, Activision. Yeah, you, you need some weapon designers? Come, come hit me up. But no, it's it's cool that they're sort of putting so much faith in it, I guess, to sort of say, yeah, come slam our servers. But uh, I guess we'll have to see what goes on. I personally don't think I'll be jumping into this because, as I've said, I think Diablo 4 is, is just not going to be very good, unfortunately. But uh, hey, I look forward to potentially being proven wrong because if there's a good Diablo game, I'm going to be there for it. Well, I'm welcoming the opportunity to give this one a go. So I look forward to hearing about how you were playing Tears of the Kingdom and not this. <laughs> <laughs> or, or at worst, just be still completing the uh, battle pass and trophy hunt yeah exactly <laughs> now final news story today is another new release and this one has been even longer in the works than diablo 4 even longer in the works than suicide squad i think so i oh, think wow. it actually has okay. been yes so on the day of recording which is a little peek behind the curtain here we're april 21st dead island 2 has finally been released today everyone 
Oh, it's actually come out today, has it's it? It's come out today oh as we talk. And right now it came out this morning. The day has finally come. God damn. Yes. So after over a decade of <laughs> being in development and being announced and being told that you're going to get it and it not coming, it is here. God, I'm just praying that it performs well and that it does well. I just really want the best for this game, honestly. I kind of do too. I mean, I liked Dead Island 1 not enough to ever complete the fucking thing but i i did enjoy it it's good fun i like how you can karate chop and drop kick zombies it's always good fun i enjoyed dead island more than i enjoyed dying light definitely happy to go on record to say that it's dying like the parkour one yeah yeah i agree love the parkour in dying light but dead island the zombie bashing was just the best very satisfying melee combat in dead island the noises and the soundscape were good it could have done a bit better with the characters in my opinion but you know that's really a minor it's a minor compared to like what the actual game's about isn't it exactly yeah it's really nothing but yes it has come out and because it's come out, we have some information about it. So, of course, you've got the normal sort of array of pre-order bonuses. You've got your usual gold, definitive, big balls out editions all available. Some for upwards of $100, which is hilarious to me. And depressingly standard in this day yeah, and age. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Collector's edition's going to do that, you know. Do you get a limited, like, clay bust of a zombie or something like that? Oh, there's probably some nonsense like that. They yeah, are going to be celebrating the shit out of this release with the uh, collectible merchandise yeah as long as they didn't do a fallout 76 and promise you a linen bag that actually comes made of plastic or whatever like yeah 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 but no a couple of interesting things about the release potentially nothing too out of out of the blue here but we'll go through them anyway so firstly it's going to be released on all platforms including switch. Uh, last gen i don't know about switch actually i, I think <laughs> i think i but i saw pc xbox playstation and that's current gen and old gen PlayStation, oh, right, xbox. Okay. cool however it's not going to be crossplay. Which is all, always seems with a modern release like a massive own goal to me. Yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a shame that it's not crossplay. I'm still not quite in that stage where it's an expectation because I guess in my mind it's uh, it's not first and foremost a multiplayer game. Although it was heavily no. touted initially, wasn't it that this was a one to four player, a bit like Borderlands, although it never had split screen either, sort no. of thing. It's a shame that uh, that it's not a cross-play, but it's not a huge issue for me, honestly. Not a huge issue, but it is a bit of a shame because the second thing that I've got here about the game is that they have put in a lot of effort into the multiplayer element, it seems. So it's locked behind a certain amount of level progression in the main story. However, I believe that's fairly minor. I think we're talking one or two story missions. Fine, yeah. And it's not going to be... A full cooperative experience in the sense that if I'm on main mission level six, for example, and you're on main mission level three, I'm not going to be able to come join you. Fine. Right. So it's got the sort of Dark Souls Bloodborne rule in place, if you like, where you have to be within a certain level parameter of the person you're trying to join. Otherwise, it won't work. But other than that, it sounds pretty cool, man. I think I've seen up to six players. Wow, okay, that's a bit of a step beyond, yeah. Six players sounds like it'll get crazy chaotic. I don't know what the limit was for Dying Light 2. Uh, maybe that was six as well, but uh, six seems like a lot. Ah, uh, no, so sorry. No, I've gotten confused. Right, I'm going to backtrack. It's team size of up to three people, but there are six characters to choose from. That, that's ah, where I, I got the number Bye. six from. So apologies, misinformation, but caught it quick enough. So apology rescinded. But yes, <laughs> so six characters to choose from, again, each with their own personality and different attributes and stats and things like that. Probably special skills as well. And uh, yeah, team sizes of up to three people, which is still going to be pretty chaotic, to be fair, in Dead Island 2. But uh 
it all sounds pretty fun to be honest and the progress that you make in co-op including inventory items and all that good stuff carries over to your single player so win-win really but that then that is probably the reason why you can't just join anyone because it would just become a loot fest yeah it makes sense and i don't know about you but whenever i played these types of games before i always prefer to play them with a similar level uh anyway because I know there becomes a case of it's not fun for the other player if you're massively over level because you're just killing everything before they can make a dent in them. And then uh, uh, vice versa, when you're playing as that underlevel player, you're either sat there not contributing anything or you're just kind of mowing down enemies without any difficulty whatsoever. It's uh, it's never fun. Never fun. I agree with you there. I've been that guy in a Borderlands game before and it's pointless. Yeah, yeah. You level up super quickly, but your equipment doesn't. So you still can't do anything. And more often than not, because you're no help, the enemies get so strong that they're just taking out your partner. But yeah, so it sounds like they've thought about everything. Um, And the final sort of piece of information that I've got here that is pertinent is that uh, apparently it could take anywhere from 15 to 20 hours and sort of a quick playthrough and 30 plus hours on a sort of more completionist playthrough, which is about right for a Dead Island game, I'd say. Yeah, I would say it sounds like they're not going to long this one out, stretch out too much, which is uh, which is good because it sounds like there was a hell of a lot of fluff. Do you remember when they were talking about the uh, release of Dying Light and they were talking about thousands upon thousands of hours? Uh, yes. Of gameplay to me that just sounds like a hell of a lot of filler content and repeated 100%. missions so no keep this one tight sounds good to me absolutely and uh whilst i'm certainly not going to day one it because it isn't currently day one and i haven't bought <laughs> this it this is your opportunity oh no i'm not going to but i'm going to keep an eye on it because as i say never completed dead island one but i have a little soft spot for it but yeah how about you do you, you excited for this man is it one that you're going to jump into relatively quickly or again is it going to be one that you sort of wait and see how it goes maybe grab it on sale or something well man i think as we've discussed earlier on in the podcast both of our <laughs> schedules are looking pretty thick at the moment so yeah. this one will probably probably be one that i'll wait on as i say i'm just hoping and praying that it does well on a good release and it's not something that i'm kind of pleased that i didn't jump into straight away just because it performed awfully on pc or anything like that so yeah i've got my fingers crossed for this one and uh, it sounds like either way by the time i pick this one up it'll be a blast to play through and i think that uh yeah potentially this is a good one for us to play together absolutely man absolutely so fingers crossed we're not reporting next week that it's a crock of shit. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, but with that we now come to the end of the news and hopefully it won't be that pessimistic when we come back for next week's news but with all that said i think it's time for us to head over to completionist corner here we go for the completionist's corner So as I mentioned at the top of the show, this week we're going back down to Rapture for the second half of our Odyssey into Bioshock 2 Remastered. And we pick up our story as we head towards Dionysus Park, having just escaped from Siren Alley after it was flooded by Sophia Lamb, which you may remember from last week. Our character, Subject Delta, enters Dionysus Park only to find the train cars have been locked down by a chap called Stanley Poole, who has barricaded himself in the security booth. Now, this guy is a bit of a creep, really. He is, yeah, very sleazy guy. My only sort of even knowing anything about this guy beforehand was a one of the many voice recordings that you find throughout the game where he sort of implied that he was uh, doing some undercover work to get some dirt on Sphere Lamb. That's right, yeah. So he's uh, hired by Andrew Ryan to kind of start to usurp and spread some bad feelings around the Rapture family. He promises that he will remove the lockdown on the trains if we clear out all of the little sisters from the park 
by whatever means necessary. Again, another pointer that he's not the nicest of people. He is really not fussed about how we get rid of these little sisters. And obviously his reasons for wanting to get rid of the little sisters is, uh, isn't particularly great either. No, which we'll get into very shortly. But there are three little sisters in total to deal with, and each time one is rescued or harvested, depending on how you're playing, we see a glimpse into their memories. And in these memories, we see that Paul was in fact left in charge of Dionysus Park by Sophia Lamb and had abused his power to live a life of debauchery. It's also revealed by Paul that he wrote an article about Delta for a now-defunct Rapture newspaper. Delta was once an ordinary man, nicknamed Johnny Topside, who found Rapture whilst on a diving expedition. Andrew Ryan, however, was convinced that Johnny was a spy sent from the surface, and therefore had him turned into a big daddy. Because that's what all reasonable people would have done. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, I guess there's, a, there's an element of controlling someone's free will there, so it's a bit like kind of, uh, you know, dealing with a loose end without actually necessarily needing to kill them, turning them into something actually quite useful. After completing the mission to rescue slash harvest the Little Sisters, Delta headbacks to Paul, who unlocks the trains as promised. At this point, we're about to leave when Sophia Lamb informs us that Paul was the one who actually turned us into Ryan and is therefore the reason that Delta is now a big daddy. Little prick. Much like with Grace last week, we are then given the choice to either spare or kill Paul. And Will, what did you do, given that you mentioned last week that you were going to change tact a little bit? Yeah, well, if by a little bit you mean like a complete polar opposite turnaround. <laughs> yeah, so I kind of, as discussed last week, decided that I was going to go on just a murdering rampage at this point. So I did indeed begin to harvest all of the little sisters, which is... Pretty horrifying, I've got to say. It's a lot worse than uh, the animation that it was in Bioshock 1. Yeah, what actually happens? Yeah, I'm curious. Because I've never done it in either game. It does the same thing where the screen kind of becomes obscured for a while and the little sister disappears and then turns into a slug in your hand. However, I don't remember this happening in the first game if it did, but then you kind of like crush the uh, sea slug in your hand and oh, toss gosh. it aside. <laughs> and also just the, uh, yeah, the, the dialogue lines that you get from the little sister when you're doing it is, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty nasty as well. Feels very grim. Like I said, this is a game where, uh, you know, when you are playing the bad guy, you are evil as hell compared to uh, the good dude. And it just feels... A little bit out of place sometimes, yeah. but uh, you know, like I'm, I'm glad that Grace survived my playthrough. Is what I will say because that, you know, that would have been a particularly. I think out of all the decisions you have to make in this game, that is the most purely evil one where you're just like, oh, I'm just going to kill this innocent old lady. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, I 100% agree with you. Having played the other two options now, because obviously Paul's an absolute sleazebag. Yeah, yeah, and deserves anything he got. Like that was actually the one that I found hardest. Not to kill, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, I bashed him over the head with my drill. I assumed you just got on the train and left. Yeah, I left. He sort of cowers like a little bell end. So I just sort of looked at him for a bit. Was like, ah, oh, bun you, and then left. Yeah, just got on the train because he's under the impression that Lamb didn't know about his betrayal the whole time. And then just shortly before you leave, she actually unlocks the door, allowing you to kill him if you please. And sort of saying, oh, by the way, I knew about all that anyway. I, I'd forgiven him, but whatever. Yeah, now that he decided to use you for the purposes of harvesting the little sisters, he'd sealed his fate as far as she was concerned. Well, I'm glad at least one of us put an end to that sleeve bag. <laughs> yeah. With Paul now dealt with either way, we continue our journey by train, heading to our next destination, which is Fontaine Futuristics. Yes, and upon arriving in Fontaine Futuristics, Delta is greeted by a recording from a man named Gilbert Alexander, also known as Gil. Gil explains that by the time we see this message, he will have gone insane due to absorbing a massive amount of Adam. 
Following taped recordings left by Gill before insanity gripped him, uh, and having deactivated some breakers along the way which allowed the insane Gill to control the security for the facility remotely, Delta finds his way to a hidden plasmid lab where a horribly mutated Gill awaits, suspended in a huge vat of red liquid which I presumed was Adam, given the fact that he absorbed a lot of Adam. <laughs> you know, I'm really not sure. I, I kind of, I thought it was just water, but you know, I, I really don't know. It could be, to be honest. I mean, I mean, given the state he's in, it could be water that he's just sort of had his flesh leaked into. I mean, he's not in a good way. I don't know about you, but I couldn't even really clearly make him out in that. He no. was just kind of like an amorphous blob in the uh, in the liquid. Pretty much. And, and you get a lot of dialogue about him swimming up and hiding, and I'm just like, dude, that hasn't moved. <laughs> like that. Yeah. There is nothing going on in there. I actually really liked Gil, uh, or Gilbert Alexander, or Alexander the Great, I think, because he is yeah. known as him kind of insane alter That's ego. That's his insane name, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like the concept of, uh, I really like the concept behind him. Yeah, and uh, for a little bit more sort of background on him specifically, he is the guy that was doing the Big Daddy experiments, and he's actually the one that physically turned us into a Big Daddy. I think he also was the one that um, turned Eleanor into a little sister. Right, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but very cool. And again, the only sort of introduction to Gil you have before this point is voice recordings throughout the game, where he just sounds like a normal bloke. It's amazing what this game does in terms of getting sort of seemingly normal people and twisting them into what they become. We mentioned it with Grace last week and the character work has continued to be excellent this week, I will say. What we also find out in this section is Gil is actually the progenitor to Eleanor Lamb, the daughter of Sophia Lamb. And Sophia Lamb was actually using Gil in the beginnings of her experiments where she intended to combine all of the consciousness of Rapture through the Adam into one person, which is obviously uh, the reason why Gil was absorbing so much Adam that eventually turned him insane. This was her first attempt at creating this ultimate utopian person. I didn't get it at all like her logic in throughout this whole game was like i want to make this perfectly utopian thing that where everyone is combined and you can just do it. and i was like bitch you're crazy <laughs> like what are you on about he was sort of the uh you know the initial attempts at creating this perfect altruistic utopian being that would uh you know be all about the good of humanity whilst being selfless although that uh that failed to happen due to the fact that uh, the adam was affecting him so severely and that was uh, the reason how he ended up how he was today yes and i believe the other thing with that is as well is that in the ideal world of sophia lamb which is a crazy fucking place in my opinion the person who has all of the memories of the rapture family in their head also needs to be completely docile and basically not have any free will of their own and that was why potentially this also didn't work because Gil clearly still has his own free will as well. Exactly that. That was the, uh, yes, the main issue why that didn't work. So obviously with Gil being a bit of a failure in terms of this experiment at making this altruistic being, Sophia Lamb then turned her attention to alternate methods and that is how we ended up with Eleanor being this, uh, you know, the next ideal and Lamb's latest guinea pig in terms of trying to make this being. And the reason for that is because Eleanor used to be a little sister, as we saw at the start of the game. This lack of free will and uh, the condition of being a little sister, Sophia Lamb became convinced that this would make Eleanor the perfect candidate to become the next altruistic utopian being. Yeah, and I don't understand the logic of that because Eleanor clearly still has her own free will as well. So it's obviously nonsense, but... Hey, who am I to argue with the mad scientist? <laughs> Having met up with Gil in his big old red tank, we actually take a gene sample off him because we're kind like that. And we and the reason we need to do this is because we need to create a key for the secret entrance to Sophia Lamb's hideout, which apparently needs a genetic key because 
Bioshock. <laughs> because video game logic. Exactly. So at this point, having got the sample and the key and everything we need, we're actually asked by the pre-recorded recordings of Gil to put an end to the insane version of him in the tank because um, it will basically put him out of his misery and means that he can be at peace. And the method of doing this would be by sending an electric shock through his tank. That's right, you throw the switch and fry him. <laughs> well, you throw the switch and fry him. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I left him. Uh, which And this was actually one that I felt a bit bad about because, in my opinion, the right good thing. choice here yeah. is to kill him. Agreed. Yeah, I really struggled with this one as well. I struggled to know what to do because I was thinking, well, and the reason why I made the decision to fry him was because I was like, okay, for going from a literal sense, I'm just going to kill everyone that I have the option to kill. Yeah. And I reasoned that because you were doing the opposite playthrough, you would just go with the fact you would keep everyone. This decision was definitely one that we could have swapped around in terms of, as yeah. you say, the kind of ethically, morally right thing to do in that moment. Absolutely. And I actually am denied about this one for like it doesn't sound like long but imagine i'm sitting here playing it for a good five minutes me too yeah i was no, there I like mean. oh man do i am i really just gonna leave this guy he's asked me to kill him and that feels like the right thing well i was really worried that you were going to tell me during this recording that you actually did the same option as me not that it makes a huge amount of difference anyway but yeah there was a long time that gil was hovering over me through that tv screen i also like the fact that as you play through this area gil appears as sort of like a flying helicopter turret with a tv screen mounted on it and you only can really yeah. see like a pair of eyes but he's shouting at you and berating you and every time you hack a turret or piece of machinery in the area he tells yeah. you off and says your punishment is going to be increasing as you uh fight your way through yeah and he actually ends up eventually firing you yeah that's right uh, yeah, which is just yeah. quite fun. this is insane gil by the way which absolutely is yeah, he's really great it, it's really well done again i say the character work brilliant loved it but no so we then make our choice whatever it may be and we then leave the facility to use the key that we've just made to enter lamb's hideout which is called persephone which is where eleanor is held so delta enters persephone and finds eleanor locked within a quarantine chamber as we approach the chamber we see that sophia is also in there sitting over a sleeping eleanor before we have a chance to enter the chamber Sophia actually smothers the sleeping Eleanor with a pillow, which stops her heart long enough for Delta's body to actually shut down as a result of their big daddy little sister bond. And this is a, you know, this is quite a moment. Definitely don't expect the uh, the pillow smothering to come out there. It's kind of like very much one of those, if I can't have her, no one can type moments. You can tell that at this point, we're definitely backing Sophia Lamb into a corner and she's getting desperate. 100%. And I must say, the smothering bit actually didn't surprise me that much. But the way that Sophia just sort of came out of like the background and yeah. into the foreground, I thought was really quite powerful. Yeah, yeah. You know, interestingly, I'm seeing a lot of parallels now, the second time playing through this, to Bioshock Infinite, which has a lot of similar good set-piece moments that are very dramatic, without being necessarily over-the-top action, although you've got spoonfuls of that in Infinite as well. Uh, yeah, no, honestly, I'm really appreciating and seeing Bioshock 2 in a new light for some of these moments. And, and I was going to save this to the end, but I'll say now because it's appropriate, um, having played through Bioshock 1 and now Bioshock 2, I'm actually quite up for finally giving Infinite another go at some point because it's just excellent world building the yeah, whole time. Yeah. And what I do remember of Infinite was the same. I know the twist, that's the only shame. But Yes, I'm 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 there with you on Infinite. I think that it took a step back in terms of certain gameplay elements, uh, which obviously we can always get into when we'll cover it infinite at some point. But 
ultimately, as you say, the world's building, the immersion, and just the kind of graphical design and how beautiful all of the games look is just really hooks you in. So, after Eleanor being smothered by Sophia, this actually leads to Delta being captured by Sophia Lamb, who severs Delta's bond with Eleanor. This weakens Delta's heart and body as Big Daddies are designed to completely shut down upon the death of their little sister or the removal of the bond. However, Eleanor, thankfully, is not really dead. Yes, which was an absolute relief. Frankly. Yeah, I know. I was like, because how bad would that have been if we get to the end of the game and it's like, oh shit, yeah, she just gets smothered by her mum. <laughs> <laughs> You're just designed to spend the rest of the game kind of shackled, slowly slipping into a coma. Exactly. <laughs> but no. So despite us being now heavily restrained in a locked lab, the actually alive Eleanor is able to send a little sister to our aid because apparently they didn't think to block the vents in the room we were in. <laughs> no. Yeah. They they clearly didn't get the memo. That the little <laughs> sisters are on our side. Why the little sister? are on my side i'm not really sure about i've been at this point harvesting and killing all of them yes. that I run and into. this is actually something i wanted to ask you because this sort of whole next little bit relies heavily on the little sisters right it does and i've obviously saved them all so it makes perfect sense you've killed them all <laughs> i did unless it's one of the first ones that you did when you were still playing good file that's the only way i can justify it in my head for you. <laughs> i think that it's always implied that there are more little sisters yeah, perhaps yeah. than the ones that are around but yeah no good point as well yes as you say though i, I did actually uh save a good maybe five or six uh little sisters uh you know from our initial playthrough However, I got to say, you know, we were talking about the, uh, you know, there being not a huge amount of upside in terms of rescuing the little sisters. Yeah. I've yet to hear your upside in terms of your playthrough this time, but oh my god, I was rolling in Adam this time round. I could buy <laughs> way too many upgrades and slots, uh, which was fantastic. But uh, yeah, if you do decide to harvest the little sisters, you can just upgrade for days. That's for sure. Well, what I'll say as we're talking about it is that I had a very similar upside to in the first one, so you get gifts periodically from the. Little sisters you save which typically has a large quantity of adam and maybe some other little not plasmids but you know this um the tonics the minor buffs you can get on yourself that's right buffs. yeah the kind of passive abilities yeah yeah and i had throughout my game and i skipped a couple of collection sessions uh, where you've got the little sisters and you harvest from bodies yeah yeah but i did most of it and i had enough to unlock all plasmid slots buy all plasmids upgrade at least two of them to the third level um unlock all of the tonic slots and still do everything else i needed to do i did not sort of feel i needed more adam uh, no yeah, yeah. That way. Um, exactly the same as in Bioshock 1 but yes so this little sister that has come to our aid um, injects us with what looks like Adam but actually turns out to be a special plasmid that allows us to take control of the little sister temporarily which I thought was quite a nice touch and the really cool thing about this sort of section was that um, if you've ever played the game We Happy Few, it sort of takes on that sort of sort of aesthetic in that you're walking around in this lovely, colourful, sort of idyllic office Drapes and, and curtains and everywhere. Exactly. Instead of pools Flowers. of blood on the floor, it's rose petals. Instead of splices, you've got people in tuxes and stuff, yeah. Exactly. And uh, what I think are maybe corpses are actually just like pillows and stuff like yeah. that in the game. Exactly. Yeah. And the only time... We're actually going to just about to talk about this, but the only time you get the real world is when you actually physically collect the piece of 
big sister armor personally i loved this section because it was so cool to finally see the world from the perspective of a little sister and i loved the way it was done and i also really like the fact that you then get to play through that level and if you're being observant you can kind of compare things what was like an abandoned wheelchair became like a plush sofa and stuff like that it was really really cool stuff uh another thing which i thought was really cool sorry just touch on is when you when you put a little sister back through the vent having saved them they get a really cool animation and when you are a little sister climbing through the vent you get the same animation but from the pov thought that was wicked yeah yeah it looked a little bit janky for me but that was because i upped the fov slightly so i kind of clipped into the model but uh yeah no it looked fine (laughs) but no so uh, as this little sister we sneak into sophia lamb's office and we unlock the the whole facility because she put it into lockdown and at this point eleanor reveals that she has been closely observing our actions not only through the special bonds that we share with her but also through her psychic connection to the new little sisters and Depending on our actions throughout our journey into Rapture, i.e. how we've treated other people, Eleanor is either a caring young lady determined to win her freedom as a result of all this, or she becomes a bit of a cynic who only really cares about her own survival, no matter what the cost. Yeah, a bit of a cynic is, like, understatement of the year. She turns into a bit of a psychopath, actually. Oh, really? (laughs) I was going to ask, because obviously I've got this from reading up on it. I never experienced it. So how much of a psychopath does she become? Yo, she is cold in the rest of the playthrough. I mean, she does initially say that, uh, you know, she noticed that I killed all the little sisters and I thought I was getting called out for it but no she turns that around real quick and she was like ah it's basically just business and it's not like they matter or anything like that and then for the rest of the playthrough she's like oh it's not like they matter anymore now and she's just quite willingly becoming even weirdly sadistic at moments taunting and being really cruel to the splicers as she murders them uh yeah it's pretty pretty cool stuff you can only die once But I promise to make it funny. There was something I noticed from fighting one of the little sisters earlier, and it was something I noticed Eleanor was doing a lot, is she can actually grab the splicer, and then she suspends them in the air and stabs them with one of her kind of syringe arms, and she can actually suck their vitality and give herself health back, so you can kind of extract Adam from them during a fight. I noticed this for the first time when I was fighting one, and she was able to regain health, but then I noticed Eleanor doing this a lot, and uh, some of her dialogue lines during that were very sadistic sounding. Oh damn, she was an absolute delight in my place <laughs> she turns into a real baddie yeah she was just like if you need me use the plasmid to summon me i'm willing to help once the facility has been unlocked and whilst still controlling the little sister we collect pieces of big sister armor to give to eleanor this will allow her to free us and also to fight by our side if called upon using a plasmid that we get provided with Finally reunited, Eleanor and Delta decide the best course of action is to escape from Rapture using Sinclair's escape pod. Augustus Sinclair, as you'll remember from the beginning of the game, has been speaking to us, helping us along our journey and giving us various missions and pointers along the way. Yes, and he's actually been a pretty good guy throughout. He's got a very thick kind of southern accent. I do declare, kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) That was a really good impression. (laughs) Lam, upon seeing her daughter defy her, decides to have the Rapture family set off bombs that will send Persephone plummeting to the bottom of the sea, as the facility itself overhangs a deep-sea ravine. During their escape, Delta and Eleanor fight through a whole host of splices and are also forced to kill our good friend Sinclair, who has actually himself been turned into Alpha Series Big Daddy. Yes, and this was actually kind of gutting. I know, he's a good guy, and I... I gotta say, his demeanour, you're kind of, and given how things went with Atlas in the last playthrough, you're just waiting for this motherfucker to stab you in the back. But he 100%. doesn't, and he's a good guy, and he dies, and he apologises for being mind-controlled, and he just wants you to get out 
with Eleanor. It sucks that Sinclair got got. Don't let me hurt Eleanor. Please kill me. I'd do it myself if I could. This one was kind of shit because, yeah, as Will's just mentioned there, he gets turned into a big daddy by Lamb, who is now basically mind controlling him. And initially he's still sort of fighting it and he's talking to us and explaining the situation. And he even says something akin to, guys, the only way you're going to do this is you have to kill me. You're going to have to run through me, yeah. Oh, and it's just like, oh, it's brutal. But initially he runs away from us and like, so we have to fight through some splices to get to him. He's holding the key to his escape craft, isn't he? That's the kind That's of the reason it, yeah. For. It's called the master key, yeah. I think it was. As I mentioned, he starts off initially by running away from us, and eventually we catch up to Sinclair, kill him dead, which is really sad, but we take his master key, which is what he wanted, ultimately, um, and this will allow us to use the escape pod to get out of there. So after a large fight with many waves of splicers, which I've actually got to say was a little bit disappointing given this was the final fight, really. You were hoping for more, were you? I'd have liked a boss fight. Yeah, yeah. I guess Sinclair wasn't really the boss fight. It was just no. a run to the end, almost like a rush of fighting various alpha series, wasn't it, really? Yeah, and, and the closest thing we got to any sort of final boss was there's a section in, in I believe it's in Persephone where you fight two big sisters at the same time I suppose that is that that's about as good as it gets which is a shame because it's a repeated duplicate fight I think you were probably seeing the godskin duo over and over again there <laughs> I wasn't because I know what you mean. <laughs> well, but at least the Godskin Duo is two different enemies. These are two of yeah. the same enemies. And also, Big Sisters were rare enough that they didn't get old. Yeah, fair play. Yeah. But the thing that it was disappointing for me was is that in Bioshock One there were at least three like boss fights. Yeah, proper. Yeah, I mean fighting uh, Fontaine, who is super spliced up at yeah. the end, is a memorable boss fight. Yeah, exactly, and it's and you know it's it's generously four phases, right? So there's a lot going on in it. Whereas in the whole of Bioshock Two, really, you had a couple of named characters, but like you know we mentioned last week that Simon Wales just a spider splicer, really. And I felt that was the case with a lot of the bosses in this game, which was a little bit of a shame. Bioshock did have some of that as well, but uh, you're right that it definitely had more memorable boss fights in that section. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just seeing as we're talking about some of the gameplay here, just I'll quickly just talk about some things. During that run to the pod after retrieving the key and having to fight loads of those big daddies, sometime before that in the previous area, we also picked up a grenade launcher, which is super useful. You can shoot mines from it. You can also shoot regular frag grenades as well as heat-seeking rocket launchers, which is uh, pretty awesome. And they do absolutely loads of damage to these big daddies. I was killing them in maybe about five or six shots or something like that. So That many? Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I fully upgraded that bad boy and it was like two shots. Oh, because great. you've got the, uh, yes, the ultimate upgrade for that one. It attaches like cluster mines to the original yeah, projectile. Exactly, which when you use the um, the stationary pro um, proximity mine function, which funnily enough in this last big boss room while we're waiting for Eleanor to basically get the pod ready for extraction, we're killing all these waves of splices and I was just putting down these proximity mines in that big room and it was just clearing house. I barely had to do anything. It was so great. useful, yeah. Because I sort of got the feeling it was the final boss fight so I was just spanking all my ammo. I was just like, yeah, this is the final fight. I'm just going to use everything. And thankfully I was right, because otherwise that would have been awkward. Yeah, so I discovered the joys of using the Cyclone Trap a little bit later on in this game, because you can actually combine it with other plasmids. You can use it to place a trap down on the floor, and then it's upgraded ability. Much like the other plasmids in the game, they actually also have upgraded abilities. Uh, you can actually place down a Cyclone Trap on the floor, which means that whenever an enemy runs into it, they'll be shot up into the air. Or, you know, if you place it on a wall, they'll be shot away from the wall. But you can also... In 
confuse those traps with other plasmids like the lightning or the hornet attack or the fire attack Can or even you? hypnosis or anything like that. And that will actually duplicate its effects so they'll both get shot up into the air and set on fire, which is a brilliant way to uh, combine the plasmids in the game. And honestly, something that I definitely wasn't aware of the first time I played this, I had no idea that certain plasmids could actually be combined like that. Yeah, I had no idea you could do that. That's awesome. Bad I'd have, I'd have used that way more if I'd known Yeah, that. yeah. I just, I just, you know, I walked up to it one day and happened to see the prompt on the screen. I guess I never bothered to even upgrade it. I'm now wondering if it was an ability in Bioshock 1 as well, which I'm not sure about, but I have a funny feeling it was probably a Bioshock 2 only thing, because I think they did do a lot to tighten up the combat in this one. It's definitely a lot slicker in this game, for sure, the combat. Also, some of the uh, the weapons that I really enjoyed, I actually finally got the Gatling gun upgrade, uh, which reduced the recoil, and as oh, you said last week, makes a that? huge amount of difference. With the armor-piercing rounds on Big Daddies with no recoil, it's just... <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's why I say, like, that two big sister boss fight thing was quite disappointing because it's just like by the time you got that it's just dead dead also i don't know whether you got this same thing maybe this was just a coincidence but i felt like that double big sister boss fight that their health bar was actually tied so i felt like i killed one and then i turned around and the other one was just dead no i didn't notice that oh okay maybe that was just coincidence yeah. on my side then that they happened to maybe. go down at the same time but it felt like i was shooting one for ages and they had loads more health than they did normally maybe my game just kind of bugged out and then all the damage got dealt suddenly or something but maybe yeah because this game odd. is buggy as fuck so <laughs> yeah i didn't i wouldn't reasonable. quite call it buggy as fuck but 100% more buggy than the original yeah. uh, in terms of that and uh, and much more buggy. I didn't notice anything, any issues with the original titles before they were remastered. And I should say, when I say buggy, I mean it crashes a lot. Like, it's not like there's no visual bugs or anything like that. I didn't get anything like that, but I had, I think we mentioned three crashes in the first half. I had like six or seven crashes the second half. That's interesting because I don't recall having any crashes on this second half thankfully but i did have two or three the uh, the first bit that i played i'd by that point i'd gotten used to uh, quick saving all the time so yeah, that's the thing yeah. as i mentioned last week i was quick saving every 10 minutes anyway so it didn't really bother me <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, but no i agree though that ro that rocket launcher grenade launcher whatever i think it was just called the launcher actually but that was an absolute game changer as soon as i got it i was like right i need to fully upgrade this and yeah, I'm glad I did. Didn't use it as much as I thought I might because I was saving it for a, the boss fight that I thought was coming that never came. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yes, yeah, so after this large fight with many waves of splicers, Eleanor and Delta finally make it to the escape pod, but not before a subtle... <laughs> And when I say subtle, I'm clearly joking. This is like Final a Looney Tunes scale. It really bomb was trap, isn't it? He's got might as well have an Acme TNT. Yeah, box. it may as well have fucking done. You <laughs> literally you're running through a corridor to get to the escape pod. You turn a corner, and like Eleanor says at that point, something akin to oh, we finally made it. And then there's just a pile of red TNT boxes there. <laughs> it's the least subtle thing, but it's great. But we get there and uh, this TNT uh, goes off, destroys the tunnel completely and mortally wounds Delta. However, with our last life in our lungs, our last bit of energy, we are able to haul ourselves on the outside of the escape pod and cling on as it heads towards the surface. We should also uh, uh, say at this point that Eleanor is, is pretty unharmed from this. She's able to teleport away just as the explosion happens, presumably inside the escape pod. Yes, because she's a dick like that. Although, to be fair, in my, I don't know if she did in your one. This is interesting. In my one, she looked back and was almost like, sorry, I can't get you. Yeah, she does. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she she does. She turns back to look at you and then teleports away sort of thing. I'm imagining in your one, though, she just like flips the bird at you. Like, <laughs> Later, sucker. <Yeah>. Wanker. <laughs> Ha ha ha!
can see you trying not to cry. There's one thing that we've neglected to mention. Shortly after killing Sinclair and retrieving the key, in a final desperate attempt to prevent us from escaping, Sophia Lamb tries to damage the escape craft, so she actually blows it up, which damages some of the buoyancy. In that section, we then, accompanied by Eleanor Lamb, need to go around harvesting little sisters in order for her to generate enough energy so that she can boil off the water. And by boiling off the water, she'll be able to compensate for the lack of buoyancy in the craft, which enables it to rive to the surface. So in this section, I, Delta, accompanied Eleanor as she went around pediatric ward to pediatric ward, harvesting the little sisters in order to allow us to escape. What did she do in your section? Exactly the same thing, except for we didn't harvest them, we rescued them, and the logic was that there would be enough Adam in all of the individuals, including Ellen, that they could just boil off the water. Right, to okay. do exactly the same thing, but there was no harvesting involved. So we just had, like, surplus, and uh, we boiled that water quick time after harvesting sounds like unnecessarily all of those little sisters. And it's interesting because... Clearly in your one, you didn't save a single little sister, right? None of them made it back to the surface with you. Whereas with my one, you see, uh, and we'll talk a bit more about the ending shortly, but all of the little sisters that I saved make it to the surface with me. Right. No, it was just me and Eleanor. (laughs) From our vantage point on the outside of the pod, we see Eleanor and Sophia Lamb inside the now flooded escape pod. Eleanor makes the choice to either kill or save Lamb, depending on our alignment as a result of the in-game choices. In my case, Eleanor drags Sophia Lamb below the water level and slowly drowns her. Uh, I assume in this one she just uh, lets her out of the pod, does she, in your playthrough? I think they just had a hug. A hug? Oh, wow, okay. I think they hugged it out. Fair enough. Yeah, she was like, yeah, I'll forgive you. (laughs) It's just so different from uh, the Eleanor that I got to see at the end of mine. Yeah, exactly. My Eleanor was real sweet. So, depending on the choice to either kill or save Lamb, this impacts the ending that we receive. In the good ending, upon reaching the surface, Eleanor will use her big sister needle to absorb Delta's Adam and consciousness so that they can be together forever. Yes, it's also worth pointing out there that this is where we get the cutscene with, what, seven or eight little sisters alongside Eleanor, sort of looking over our dying corpse, like smiling and being like, we've got a new life now, thank you. A little bit similar to the ending with uh, Jack in Bioshock 1, where it ends with the little sisters, now as adults, placing their hands over Jack as an old man. Very similar, but I actually thought that one was a little more powerful. In the bad ending, however, Eleanor will brutally harvest Delta's essence and Adam, heralding the birth of a monster. Oh, jeez. However, if Delta demonstrated some form of compassion throughout his journey, then Delta will have the option to stop and sacrifice his life to give Eleanor a chance at redemption, which was actually the ending I got, presumably because of the fact that I uh, rescued a few of the little sisters to begin with. I did, however, then proceed to take the bad route again, and it's kind of not really clear what Eleanor is then up to at that point. As you say, it's very clearly nothing good. For sure, we're heralding the birth of a monster, and, you know, I would just love to to see what Eleanor gets up to. I would really, really like to see at some point Bioshock cover the world above ground and how that has been affected by someone from Bioshock that has then got out. What happened to these little sisters? What does their life look like? What happened to Eleanor? Exactly, and as we've just touched on there, if Jack and the little sisters survived to him growing old and the little sisters sort of being young adults at the end of Bioshock 1, there must be about 18 years in between. Yeah, what was Jack doing in the meantime? Exactly, because he's still a big daddy, right? In terms of his voice and physicality. Yeah, there's definitely some irreversible 
that he went through. Yeah. I mean, I, they don't show his face. They just show his kind of old wrinkled hands, don't they, at the ending? There's no way his larynx got better. No, no you don't recover from that. <laughs> oh dear. But no, so regardless of the ending we got, that brought us to the end of the game. Bioshock 2 in the books. In the bag, baby. Exactly. And I've got to say that I thoroughly enjoyed Bioshock 2. I mentioned last week that I didn't want to make a judgment call on whether I preferred Bioshock 2 to Bioshock 1 until I'd finished both. Now that I have finished both, I think that game-wise, Bioshock 2 is just just a little bit better in every single way. They've really polished the combat, haven't they? Which is it makes a big difference. It really does. I thought the combat was excellent. I, As we touched on last week, I preferred the new gun styles, being a big daddy rather than being a human. And I thought that every single improvement they made to the plasmids that were in the first game was just absolutely excellent. Incinerate was an absolute dream. I'm glad that you mentioned that, especially the fact that you can charge it up, right? Level two, you can charge it up and just lob like a fireball at someone. Level three, you charge it up and you get a beam of fire that <laughs> yeah, comes out your hand. Yeah, Geralt, Igni yeah. style. Yeah, it's f***ing sick. Same with the ice blast as well. And I imagine the electricity one, because that has a level three too. <laughs> Also, this was another feature that uh, that Bioshock 1 had, but I felt like it really came into its own in this one, was the way that certain levels are designed. Obviously, you're in certain areas where it's half-flooded, up to the knees, certain areas where you've got lots of oil around, and that actually affects which plasmids that you're trying to use in those as well, because in an area that's flooded, obviously, if you're not standing in the water, it's an opportune moment to use your electric bolt attack. However, when you're in an area that's almost entirely flooded, it almost negates your ability to use the electrical one, and you need to prioritise other abilities as well. Also, it makes your flame attack nearly useless, because what you'll have probably noticed is when you set a splicer on fire after running around for a bit panicking, if there is a water source in the room, they'll go ahead and douse themselves in it in order to stop themselves from burning, which is another really cool, nice mechanic they thought of. And also gives them about three seconds of invulnerability where you can't reset them on fire straight afterwards. Right, okay, yeah. Really nice touch. Yeah, I was going to mention that. The AI in this game very very good but the ai in bioshock 1 was pretty good as well it's true yeah something that did carry on from bioshock 1 is that you might notice at certain points if you damage a splicer enough they might just run off and head to a healing station to go fill themselves up again yeah and one thing that i would love to see if bioshock does a bioshock 4 or something would be hey it's coming i've heard rumblings oh really oh, oh, yes boy. okay well hopefully then they'll implement what i'm about to say because how cool would it be if you you know you can hack every single machine yeah how cool would it be if you could hack the health machine to explode when a splicer uses that would be a badass concept because they always go when they've got like a smidge of health left it's a one shot it would just be so cool so uh, satisfying right? do you know what I'm really thinking if that was a thing it sounds really familiar and I'm wondering am I remembering it from Bioshock Infinite Maybe I'm remembering it from Bioshock 2 multiplayer, because sadly this is one thing we won't get to cover, is it's not yeah. part of the remastered edition. But I think ultimately though, whilst I say that about the gameplay for Bioshock 2 and things like that, I do think that I do prefer Bioshock 1. I feel like the story was a little bit stronger throughout, because Bioshock 2 I felt it, it almost perfectly mirrored where we split the podcast actually that first half wicked loved the story loved where it was going i do feel that the second half kind of fizzled out though and i don't know how much of that is because i was a bit disappointed with the lack of a final boss mm, mm. and also the fact that in my one sophia lamb got absolutely no comeuppance whatsoever yeah that's true yeah whereas i got to see her brutally murdered in mine then she sort of just fucks off and you don't hear from her again right that seems very unresolved yeah yeah, so it just felt I just I finished it and I was like I'm satisfied, but I feel 
a little bit empty. I would have liked just something more. How about you, man? What are your opinions now that you've replayed it? You mentioned last week that you, your opinion had changed somewhat because you kind of thought it wasn't that great compared to the first one when you first played it. But how do you feel now? Yeah, I mean, I think that I would kind of echo a lot of your sentiments there. I think that uh, gameplay-wise, Bioshock 2 really has kind of nailed it on the head there. I might even go as far to say that actually I might, in certain sections, prefer the combat in Bioshock 2 to Bioshock Infinite. I do agree with you, though, that if you're going to compare each section, there are a lot of parallels between 1 and 2. However, 1 did them a lot better. Uh, I think that... 2 is still a really, really good game, though, and it's almost like kind of comparing, a, you know, a fantastic game to a really, really good game. It's it's just the comparison that makes it that little bit worse. I do wonder how much of that is the fact that when I first stepped into Rapture, hitting that bathosphere on the way down for the first time, experiencing Rapture for the first time, it being, at that point in my head, a unique concept in terms of playing through it as a video game, that goes a long way in terms of what really, really got me into Bioshock. So my opinion of Bioshock 2 might have been a bit hampered by that on my first playthrough. However, this time, with my expectations being relatively low, given the fact that I, I did remember that I didn't enjoy Bioshock 2 as much the last time I played it, I think that this is a stellar game. Had a great time with it. I really enjoyed the story. It really kind of reinvigorated my want to go back and play Bioshock Infinite, as you mentioned earlier. And there's just so much to appreciate about this game, from the level design to the effort that they place in all of the objects and characters and even corpses around the game, very similar to Fallout in terms of once again, that world-building element. So much love poured into this game. Fantastic voice acting. We, we can't speak highly enough of the character work in this game. It's honestly really, really so good. So good. And just to echo Will's point there, I think Rapture might be one of the best game worlds ever created, genuinely. Mm. Yeah, no. Rapture like, is just top-notch. Top with you notch. there, man. With you there, for sure. Excellent game. I think it's like the sounds that we both thoroughly recommend. Absolutely. And with that, we'll come to the end of the show. Listeners, if you've made it this far, we love you and appreciate you. We see you. much. And if you've enjoyed what you've listened to, then you can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts from by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. And you can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And you can find me on Twitter at MrBames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash MrBames underscore TPM. And with that, Will, pleasure as always, my friend. Listeners, pleasure as always, my friends. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Thanks again for listening. Take care, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.